This shiur is given in loving memory of Fager, Bachmuel and Rivka. One evening in 1892 in a suburb of Warsaw, a seven-year-old boy was lying in bed when suddenly a book fell off the bookshelf, hitting him on the head. The boy picked it up and started to look at it. His father, hearing the sound, came in and seeing that particular book in his son's hand, took it from him and replaced it on the shelf. This is a book for angels, not for you, said the father. But the boy argued, if it's been printed, it must be meant for everyone. No, insisted his father, it's not for you. But the boy's curiosity had been aroused and he started to study the book. It was a book of the Kabbalah and its light illumined his heart. The young child was Yehuda Lev Ashlag, a child who one day was going to grow up and change the way we see spiritual consciousness. His parents were from the Hasidic lineage. His father, Rabbi Simcha Lev Ashlag, was a Hasid of the sage Rabbi Meish Shalom of Kolozin, who was the grandson of the Holy Jew of Pshishcha. When he went to visit the sage, Rabbi Simcha would take his young son with him. And this became a connection that developed between the young boy and the great sage. The great Rabbi of Kolozin and subsequently his son, Rabbi Asher of Poizov, became the young Rabbi Ashlag's mentors and guides. Rabbi Asher of Poizov would take the young man to visit a great sage, Rabbi Yisachadov of Bells, for whom he, he entertained a huge respect. Even for those days, Rabbi Ashlag had an unusual dedication to his studies. He had a tremendous quality of truth. Truth for him meant inner truth, being totally true to oneself. And so when he studied a book of Musa, he never left it until he felt it completely put into practice all that the book demanded of him. Working very hard on himself and his regular Torah study, his study of the Kabbalah and work on his own Midot, he came to the incredible spiritual level of Dveikut with God, unity, what we would call enlightenment, at an incredibly early age. Now, Normally, we would not have access or any record of a great rabbi's personal life or spiritual achievements. It was a custom, very elderly strong amongst the rabbis, to maintain modesty, and it was very important to them. They hid their spiritual achievements. And true to this tradition, in the last year of his life, Rabbi Ashlag requested his devoted assistant, Rabbi Moshe Baruch Lemberger, to make a pile of his personal papers and burn them. He collected all the papers together and then went off to get the kerosene and the match, whatever else he needed. But there were other students present and they managed to save the papers from the fire. Among these papers that were spirited away is a piece of writing in which Rabbi Ashlag describes his thoughts and his feelings when he had the merit to receive the great light of God, which is called the Ord Chochmah. 
This is the great light that God wants to give us according to his original purpose and creation. A person may only receive this great light when he's finished his personal tikkun. At the time of, the, of redemption, however, all humanity will receive this great enlightenment. In this document, we have a record, unique in Jewish spiritual literature, of what happens to the tzaddik when he receives this experience of enlightenment whilst in affinity of form of the Creator. How does he feel? What does he go through? And what's the development? Indeed, it was an experience that was to change the direction of Rabbi Ashlag's entire life. Rabbi Ashlag starts by asking a question. He's in this experience in which his whole being is totally illuminated in the light of God. So he wants to know, what does his service to God now consist of, now that he no longer has to give faith or belief in God, because they're actually in a state of knowing God? So he sets out to visit his teacher, the Rabbi of Bells. But when he arrives at the Beit Midrash, he finds that the sage's response to him in his state of enlightenment is not encouraging, to put it mildly. On the contrary, the rabbi teacher treats him with sarcasm and shows his displeasure quite openly. Rabbi Ashlag finds himself in a quandary. On the one hand, he believes in his experience. On the other hand, he has faith in his rabbi. Perplexed, Rabbi Ashlag has to resolve this seeming contradiction for himself. And this is what he later set down, describing this whole episode. A great principle caused me some doubt. Can a person be spiritually alive without service to God? Or is it possible that the desired service to God may be expressed by giving glory to God and by thanking Him? In other words, Rabbi Ashlag's reached a place where he has no doubts left. He's receiving the light of God as revealed and therefore he no longer needs to work with faith because God's light is as clear to him as the light of day and he knows it directly. So what does his work now consist of? At that time, I had no desire to go to the sage. Yet I went and I journeyed even without desire and even without connection with Rabbi of Bells. For I went to see if God would manifest there again. At the very moment that the sage saw my reality, he knew I was coming. And remember this amazing thing, that even when I was not connected with the Rabbi of Bells, the moment my feet moved outside, I was filled with wondrous glory and great delight. I arrived there in the middle of the prayer. It happened that when the prayer was over, the sage looked for me among the crowd, which was not at all according to his custom, and mockingly he asked, It seems you've come to receive blessings on leaving the hidden wisdom. And I didn't understand. Rabbi Ashlag is puzzled. The sage of bells, instead of welcoming him and being happy for him, rebukes him. Why? He writes, 
But actually, even while I was still in my house, I had wondered, how is it possible to grasp the fact of the light ceasing after Sedanite that makes it possible to start counting the Omer, so that one can prepare oneself for the receiving of the Torah? What use is the light of a candle at noontime? Rabbi Ashlag is describing his state. He's in a state equivalent to that of the great light of redemption that we receive on Seder night. Yet, what happens? The following day, we let go of this great light and we start counting the Omer, which is a little light. It's a light of giving. How does this work? How do we let go of this great light? And what use are these little lights in comparison? He describes, Because the state had happened to me that the scripture talks about, I will keep my loving kindness for him forever, and my covenant is certain for him, and I've placed his seed forever and his chair as the days of heaven. Psalms 89 And my loving kindness I will not break from him, and I will not betray my faith in all possible ways. His state of enlightenment has become something eternal. And maybe this is what the sage hinted to me in his parting blessing, because really I received his blessing as if it relates to a state of consciousness as on the first day of Pesach. But later on in the morning, I felt the sage was alluding to me when he said these spiritual states are like death and parting. But why is the Rabbi of Bells hinting to Rabbi Ashlag that he's in a state of leaving? Why like death and parting? Surely what he's received is something good. Following the prayers, he gave me the Kiddush cup of wine. and wondering at me that I had not left any over from the Kiddush of Shabbos Eve. After that, he said that a lion has no need to fear. A bear has need to fear, but not a lion. He has no need to fear. I was distressed by his words. The Kiddush wine is a symbol of the great light of Chochmah, the great light of the revelation of God. And the Rabbi of Bells is hinting to Rabbi Ashlag that he is Soha Dov. Dov mean is a bear, is afraid to drink from this to the very end. But Rabbi Ashlag, whose middle name is Leib, meaning a lion, is not afraid. He's being really sarcastic. And Rabbi Ashlag is distressed. At the time of the third Shabbos meal following the afternoon prayer, I felt a little doubt concerning my rabbi, and I was ashamed. Following the Malava Malka, a special gathering in Hasidic circles following the end of Shabbat, I felt tremendous sorrow. Chiefly, I wondered, are my ways acceptable to God or not? And if they are acceptable to God, why are they not acceptable to my teacher? Can it be possible that God would give me so much praise and my teacher not, but he even denigrates me? I couldn't sleep all that night. I pondered my ways to see if they were mistaken in any way. 
I wondered, am I fooling myself? Is it possible that the aspect of which there is nothing else higher in reality really isn't present? Therefore, I went over again in my mind hundreds of times, these three names of God that were shining so brightly, and I couldn't see any possibility at all that I could incline after something that was outside holiness. This being the case, it was impossible to deny what I could taste in my mouth and feel in actual physicality. Yet my faith in my teacher was strong, and since this state was not pleasing to him, there must be some defect. So I pondered my ways yet again, and I found them to be beautiful. And so it went on round and round all through the night. Rabbi Ashlag tests himself and his revelation again and again. He finds that all his receiving is indeed only for the sake of giving pleasure to God. It's all beautiful. None of it is for himself alone. What could possibly be wrong? He's perplexed. If his ways are so pleasing to God that God gives him this great gift, why are his ways not pleasing to his teacher? What's going on? Finally, I made a clear agreement with myself to listen carefully to my teacher's words on this matter. If he will recognize these paths in spirituality according to their quality and their measure, and nonetheless decrees not to use them, I will immediately obey. This is an incredible turning point in which Rabbi Ashlag turns in faith to his teacher. He's not doubting his self or his experience, but he refuses to doubt his teacher either. He opens a way using the paradigm of faith a paradigm of consciousness which is beyond knowledge. It belongs to a paradigm of giving, which is always closer to the Creator than is receiving, even receiving the great light of enlightenment, in order to go even one step further. He decides to listen to his rabbi. the next morning. When I arrived at the sage's doorway, I felt him stand up from his chair, and he began to pace this way and that, and I was alarmed, for I knew with certainty that he was doing this spiritual work for my sake. This carried on for about half an hour until I was nearly fainting from the tremor and the dread, from the sound of his sighs caused by his inner work at that extremely high level at that time. Rabbi of Bells is attracting to himself this extremely high level of light of the Order Chochmah because he knows he needs to demonstrate to the young Rabbi Ashlag how to handle the spiritual state he's in. Then he opened the door and asked me into his room. He asked me, what do I want? I couldn't open my mouth. But he said to me, as if he were answering his own question, that I must arouse in him what I want from him. So I blurted out that I want to receive the light of revelation in the right way. And then the sage sat on the chair and expounded the Torah of one for the sin offering and one for the burnt offering. 
And he said that it seemed to him that he'd expounded this Torah and that particular Shabbos afternoon, especially for me. The sage sat down. This seems to us like an ordinary human act, but it isn't. In the context of these extraordinary events, sitting down means deliberately letting go of the highlight of the Ord Chochmah, which is represented by the full stature of a man. The Rabbi of Bells then teaches the Torah on these sacrifices, which are types of sacrifices that are entirely burnt and which the owner of the animal does not enjoy their meat. These sacrifices symbolise giving up completely. The Rabbi of Bells asked me if I felt his persecution of me during the Shabbat and he said to me it's not correct to go with enlightenments or with transitory stages of holiness. The Rabbi of Bells is telling the Rabbi of Ashlag, don't get stuck. He told me the Torah on when I lay down at night. I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. He asked me if I understood, but I didn't understand. So he told it to me a second time. But I told him that I didn't understand at all. And really I couldn't understand the issue of the night because the sun was shining for me. And then he said, search here well and you will find because here is to be found this whole secret. When my teacher said this, he said to me, have you forgotten what I've taught you several times, that it's forbidden to use any enlightenment? And he began to tell me that same teaching concerning the seed from which much good springs because of the way that the wheat is sown. What happens when we sow wheat is that the seed goes into the ground and in order for the new wheat to come, the seed has to rot. We have to let go. But then I could no longer refrain, for I knew that the light I had received was eternal and it was like a kosher animal that is eaten. I interrupted his holy words, which is the first time in my entire life that such a thing ever happened to me. And I said to him, was it not so that it already promised me according to the scripture read on Rosh Hashanah and Avram said I've sworn it? At that moment, the Rabbi of Bell stood up from his chair and said, I have no more strength. The end of this manuscript is missing. But it's clear from subsequent events that Rabbi Ashlag accepted the way of the Rabbi of Bells. He let go. The turning point came in the night when he made a clear agreement with himself to let go of the great light of the Order Chochmah if he saw that his teacher knew this light himself and yet did not approve. How do we know that he let go? We know because when Rabbi Ashag planned to leave Poland for Israel, the sage of Poisov warned him that in the land of Israel one loses one's spiritual lights. Rabbi Ashag answered him saying he wasn't looking for spiritual lights, but for work. This answer is in accordance with the teaching of the Sage of Bells. 
We know that he accepted the way of the Rabbi of Bells because at one point he came to the Rabbi of Poyasov. I think it must have been very soon after this episode with two other fellow students and the Rabbi of Poyasov confirmed that all three of them had finished their tikkun. And he turned to them and he said, what do you want to do now? And the two other students just were silent. But Rabbi Ashlag said he was looking for work. It was at that point that the Rabbi of Poesov told him to begin teaching. His two companions died shortly afterwards. They had nothing more to do in this world. Letting go. Why did he let go? The answer is, is that although Rabbi Ashlag had finished his own personal tikkun and had become into permanent vaykut with God, all the souls of the world have yet to reach their tikkun. Kol Yisrael arevim zeh lezeh. We are all guarantors for each other. Since all the souls together form the one soul that God created, we are all mutually dependent. Rabbi Ashlag, therefore, knew from his teaching from the Rabbi of Bells that his next, next step was to let go and to only receive the great light of God when he could receive it for the sake of helping others. I find this whole description inspiring. It helps me make sense of Rabbi Ashlag's subsequent life, how he devoted his life to bringing the work of God through to everybody else. In every single possible way, his work is filled with love, endless, infinite love, through which he reaches out to people from all walks of life, Suddenly, passages in the Torah I'd never understood before became clear. Why was it that when God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre, and he's in the middle of receiving a tremendous revelation, he breaks off, Abraham breaks off, and runs to welcome the three wayfarers? At that point, he didn't know they were angels. How was it that when Jacob received the vision of the ladder, and receives a vision of God himself standing on the ladder. And God promises that he will go with him into exile and bring him back safely. When Jacob wakes up in the morning, he says, Surely God is in this place and I had not known. And then the scripture says, And Jacob feared. He takes a stone which he anoints and vows a vow. And his vow says, If God will be with me. He's just received the greatest revelation of God who's promised in everything. What's happening? In the same way, he goes back to faith. He lets go. He goes back to faith and goes back to giving. And this is the great lesson that the Rabbi of Bells taught Rabbi Ashlag. It's a lesson for us also 
ordinary people who've not reached our enlightenment. But it teaches us that in every circumstance, we can always find something, some way to go back to our faith and go back to giving. And that even the very, very greatest of us, of our teachers and our ancestors, did just that.